back. <laughs> back out again. You can't cancel Eminem. <laughs> Don't try to cancel Eminem. No. Jesus. No. And if you aren't down with Eminem, then I don't know if we can be friends. That's it. Hard no. No. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. I have an intro that I do. <laughs> Um, hey, murder lovers. My name is Mackenzie. And this is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back, including to myself. Yes. I forgot <laughs> that I introed. <laughs> Trust me, it was weird when I did it. <laughs> Every time I hear you do it, it is a little weird for I'm like, me. It, 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 that, that's not something I say. That's weird. That's not my job. <laughs> not my job. Um, so thank you so much for letting me take a couple weeks off. I had a little... A little procedure, because... Yeah, your nose looks great. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have had my nose done, though, so... <laughs> that was a few years ago, though. I won't go into too many details, but being a female is really fun. I had endometriosis surgery. If you're a female, what I will say is, if you are experiencing symptoms that are not normal to you, get a good doctor. Fight for yourself. Advocate for yourself. Get the help that you need. I am so glad that I did. I'm hoping that this brings me some relief, but I feel like, um, and I know endometriosis goes very often undiagnosed because you can't diagnose it without cutting into somebody and actually seeing it. It sucks, but I just, like, I'm so glad that I have such a good doctor, and I really encourage, like, you know, the 70, 80% of our audience that is female, get yourself a good gynecologist, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that is the end of my TMI. I just want to make a statement, though, and just say, like, advocate for your health in all aspects. Thank you so much. yay, you're hopefully on the path to not so much pain. Yeah. Yeah. That would be ideal. What else? What else? What else? A little podcast called The Opportunist. Ah. Um, You need to listen to it. Really? First and foremost. It is so stinking good. Okay, so I heard about this on My Favorite Murder. And Karen suggested it and was like, oh, the opportunist. So it's about good people who do bad things or do evil things when presented with opportunity. What? I know. I'm like, why didn't I think of this? Like in real life? Yes. They're real life stories. So like each season is a deep dive into one particular story. So the first season is an eight-parter. On Sherry Schreiner, um, she basically starts this like online cult following. The good person who does bad things isn't necessarily Sherry Schreiner because I think that woman is absolutely bananas. It focuses on this girl, like spoiler, okay, spoiler. But you find this out in the first episode, like first 10 seconds. Okay. A woman shoots her boyfriend and says that her boyfriend forces her to shoot him. And all of this is being influenced by... This cult that they belong to, basically. Uh-oh. He wants to die because he's part of this cult and he's oh. being called to or whatever. Okay. And so she justifies her actions based on, like, all of this influence they've had from this cult that is being led by Sherry Shriner. So the eight part really is a deep dive into the cult and Sherry Shriner. But it all comes back to this one incident that happened in uh. this woman that does this horrible, awful thing. Because she's presented with the opportunity to do so. That sounds cool. It's such an interesting concept to me. And I cannot wait for season two. I'm so excited. That's Um, awesome. But I busted through the first season. I just, it was so well done. I just, I don't have anything but good things to say about it. 
I think everybody needs to listen to it. I, it's been cool. a very, like, very long time since I've gotten, like, amped about a podcast <laughs> and, like, binged it. Yeah. Um, I haven't was, binged one in a long time. I haven't so. binged one in a very long time. And that was such a good one. So please cool. go listen to it. I already subscribed. Perfect. Yeah. Um, Ashley from the Voiceless Podcast. Yeah. Her and I were like. Ashley? Ashley. Ashley. Her and I were like team opportunists. We were like, <laughs> yeah. yes, this is the best podcast. Oh, good. And Cheyenne's been dragging her feet on it. And I swear to God, if she hasn't Great. listened to it yet, I'm going to be really unhappy. Cheyenne, you and I could start at the same time. Let's do that. Okay. <laughs> but it's so stinking good. I just, ugh. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'll totally go listen to it. Um, speaking of podcasts on a podcast, um, Mackenzie and I have made the, um, the hard decision to take out hopefully what has been the issue. We've been getting a lot of feedback that the sound is off or that there's been like content issues. Like, I don't know. Some of you guys have reported that the episodes are skipping they're skipping or there's just like blank noise and like you don't get the back or you don't get the middle or they're just ending things abruptly. jumbled up so we are thinking that it's the advertisements that we allowed to be on there um because some platforms you can hear them fine some you can't and i think that's where the dead air space is on so we've made the decision to do ad free for the time being Unless someone wants to come and pay me 500 bucks for an ad, which they're not. So <laughs> so I should say, we are going to do ad-free as far as removing the ads that we don't necessarily have control over. Right. If we can insert them ourselves and we're recording them ourselves, that then that is something that we are going to solution. probably entertain. Right. But the ones that are being inserted for us that we don't have control over are clearly messing up our quality. Right. And so for that reason, we want you guys to have the best experience. So we will be removing those. That being said, it is a revenue source. So yes, <laughs> if you would like to make up the difference by subscribing <laughs> to Patreon, we would be forever grateful, yes. but it's not required. So we are going to, I will be working on removing those ads this week. So it is going to take some time. Hopefully that will solve for this content issue thank you for the ones that have brought it to our attention um we understand that it's been a bit of a headache so yeah. we will hopefully be solving for that so without further ado i'm not talking much this one because it's Mackenzie's episode take a break yay um so this episode actually got sent over to me by my friend annie who recently relocated to California herself. And she sent me a picture of this particular location and said, A Stranger Danger podcast. Please, please, please do a pod on the unsolved Spreckles Mansion murder mystery. This case is crazy. And I said, well, 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 I've been waiting for a mm. good mystery. Ooh, I do love a good mystery. Once I got into the case, I was like, oh, yes, I know this case. So you guys might recognize it, too. Um, I'm going to refer to it as the Spreckles Mansion. I don't even know if I want to call it murders. Mystery? The Spreckles Mansion mystery. Yes. But, wow, this one is just, like, it's, it's bananas. It's not ringing so. any bells for me, so I'm kind of sitting here, like, a little yeah. wide-eyed but I'm kid, so like glad waiting. that Annie sent this over. Thank Thanks, you Annie. so much, Annie. This one is bonkers. So the Spreckles Mansion is a mansion in Coronado, California. And it has been referred to as like one of the most beautiful properties in all of America. 
It was built in 1908, and it's kind of like a Spanish revival type thing. Okay. Um, it's 10,500 square feet. Holy moly. It's under, like, constant renovation, I feel like. I can have 10 of my houses put in there. I mean, truly. <laughs> it's just absolutely, like, nuts. In 2011, it sold for, like, $9 million. It's now, like, it went back on the market in 2019 for $17 million. It sits right on the ocean. It's beautiful. Oh, okay. Oceanfront. Yeah. Oceanfront ghost. I mean, hopefully there's ghosts. You said haunted, right? Well, okay, so the mansion itself isn't necessarily haunted. Okay. Um, there is a hotel that was owned by the same person that built this house. It's called the Dell, and it's, like, very, very, like, stone's throw away is what they say. Um, that hotel is supposedly haunted. Ooh. And um, that's, like, a whole separate story for another time. But I can't wait till we can freaking travel. <laughs> Why do you want to travel? I want to visit some ghosts. I want to make some ghostly friends. There's nothing I want to do more than go to New Orleans, honestly. God, I know. So the story does take place in the Spreckles Mansion. So the Spreckles Mansion, at the time of this story, which is in 2011. Oh, hey, that's why it went back on the market during that time. Why? Because <laughs> it said it went on the market in 2011, and that's when it was sold for whatever. Oh, It went on the market because this all happened. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, funny how that all comes together. So at the time, it was owned by a man named Jonah Shackney. He was the CEO of Medicis Pharmaceuticals. Okay. Um, most widely known for being the creators of Restylane, which I'm pretty sure I've had put into my own face. Oh. Um, it's a filler. Oh, so okay. So it's like, it's like Juvederm or something like that. It's like a soft, uh, malleable filler that you would put into the lips or something like gotcha. that. Gotcha. Um, I thought you were mispronouncing Ritalin. I was like, <laughs> okay. No, Restylin. <laughs> I know my fillers. <laughs> and so um, he was the CEO of the company that came out with that. In, and he was from Arizona. He was considered the ninth highest paid CEO in Arizona. And he was estimated to be worth $6.4 million in 2010. Wow. Um, his company sold later in the billions. So, billions. I mean, money, honey. Yeah. <laughs> he was dating Rebecca Zahau. Um, she was born March 15th, 1979, and she was born in Burma. She spent most of her life in Nepal and Germany. She grew up very, very poor. The house that they lived in in Burma had, like, no electricity or anything oh, like wow. that. Um, and she came to the U.S. in her early 20s. That name rings a bell. This story, you're going to be like, okay, it's going to come back to you. But Sahau, that's just such a unique last name mm -hmm. that it totally rings bells. I don't remember the case, but I'm on for the ride. So she got married in 2002 to a man named Neil Nalapa, and she worked as an ophthalmologist. Um, but things weren't great in her marriage, and so she actually began dating Jonah in 2008, she finalized her divorce in 2011. She quit her job in 2010 because okay. she's basically at this point, like her marriage for all intents and purposes is over. She's living sure. with this guy who is a CEO and makes a ton of money. And she kind of like thinks that this is the one for her. There's about a 30 year age gap at this point. She's 32. He's 54. But they just feel like they, they click, you know, they just sure. have a lot in common and they, they, 
they genuinely have an authentic relationship. Yes. Like, they spend a lot of time together. They enjoy each other. They they have things in common. It's not just, like, a... Like, a money situation sure. or anything like that. She's, like, stunning. Although she does have, like, the two early 2000s makeup thing happening. Like... Thin eyebrows. The eyeshadow. Yeah. Blending brush. Glitter. What is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but she's beautiful. And they hit it off. So she's like, all right, cool. Like, done with my marriage then. Don't need this job or whatever. And the two of them are living together. He has, like I said, at this time he owns the Spreckles Mansion, but they use that as a summer home. Oh, I'm sorry. That's just my summer home. But I'm pretty sure, like, they live in Arizona. Okay. For most of the year, but in the summer, they're like... So they're snowbirds. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Jonah himself had been married twice before. He had two kids with his first wife and a son named Max with his second wife. Max was six years old at this time of the incident, and they were at their summer home on July 11th of 2011. So 32-year-old Rebecca is there on the estate property with her younger sister, who's only 13 years old. Big age gap. Um, Yeah. And she also has Max with her. And this was not uncommon um, because their relationship was so serious and everything like that. It wasn't uncommon for Max to be... With her, with her as, like, a step-parent, sure. if you will. Jonah was at the gym. He was like, got to work on that summer bod, you know. <laughs> Rebecca's sister goes to take a shower. She's 13 years old. Goes to take a shower. Rebecca herself goes to the bathroom. And, again, this place is huge. Somehow, in the seconds that Rebecca is in the bathroom, Max manages to somehow fall off of the second-story balcony. Whoa. Now, the stairs have a banister and the balcony itself like the landing for the second floor mm-hmm. has a banister as well okay but it looks like max somehow trips and falls over the banister tries for dear life to stop himself from falling even takes down the chandelier with him which oh. is lying shattered on the floor but still lands face first on the first floor Oh, inside the house. Inside the house. Not on the outside. Mm-mm. Oh, I'm sorry. Gotcha. I should have. Yeah. Okay. So this is inside the house. I was picturing like outside. Okay. So inside the house, there's a second floor with, with a banister. Mm-hmm. Stairway, banister, gotcha. landing. Because uh, I wasn't yeah. thinking mansion, but it's a mansion. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. Okay. And so he takes the chandelier down with him, lands on his face. Six, he, right? Yeah. Six years old. Yeah. Whoa. Very young. Okay. He suffers many broken bones to his face and then also suffers serious injuries to his spinal cord. Rebecca comes out of the bathroom, finds him, and says at the time that he is conscious that he mutters only one word and says Ocean, which is the name of their dog. Oh. And then at some point becomes unconscious. They try to, she tries to administer, administer CPR while her sister calls 911, who has made her way out of the shower at this point. Yeah. And then obviously emergency responders show up and he is unresponsive and not breathing when they get there. Oh no. So he's rushed to the hospital and the hospital does everything they can to bring him back. They finally get a pulse back and 
you know, he's put on life support. They bring in um, Rowdy Children's Hospital, which specializes in, like, children and trauma and everything like that. So they have a team that comes down that helps out with his case. The injuries to his spinal cord also put stress on his heart oh. and cause issues with his breathing. And the amount of time that he had gone without oxygen from when he was unresponsive oh. left him with serious brain trauma. Sure is diagnosed with this brain damage due to oxygen deprivation. Mm-hmm. So the next day, Max is still in the hospital and everything like that. The next day, Rebecca drops her little sister off at the airport for her to go home. Oh. She's 13. I guess that's the end of her trip. Yeah. And sends her back to Missouri. Okay. Which I was kind of like... Uh, I was I was like, this is going to turn into an investigation, and you're just sending your sister home? It was there during it. Yeah, and it it's not like she had to go back to school because it's summertime. Yeah. So the timing of that was very weird. I don't know if it was planned for her right. to go back that day or not, but either way, I was kind of like, she's ultimately a witness to whatever happened. It was kind of surprising to me that she went home, but I guess investigators weren't at the point where they stopped her. Right. And so she dropped... She's 13, right? Yes. Okay. So they dropped her off, at, or Rebecca dropped her off at the airport, and then she uh, picked up Jonah's brother, Adam. Rebecca, Jonah, and Adam all went to dinner that night with a friend. I'm sorry. I forget that you guys can't see what I'm doing, but it was like a massive head tilt... I squint like, what? Yeah. So, who am I to say? I mean, people, people got you got to eat. You got to eat. And, um, However, um, the idea of going to a public restaurant immediately, like within 24 hours of a traumatic event like that, don't sign me up. No. It just seemed very odd to me. So, they all go to dinner that night with a friend Jonah returns to the hospital where Max's mom is with Max. Okay. And they have some type of, like, bedside vigil for Max. I think just, like, kind of like the three of them or After something dinner. like that. Yes. Okay. And then Jonah actually, like, stays in the Ronald McDonald house that mm. is basically on, on the property. Yeah. yeah. To be close to Max. Adam and Rebecca went back to Spreckle's mansion. Okay. And so that night, neighbors report that they can hear loud music coming from the mansion. This is odd. That is very odd. But what's even more odd is that the next morning at 6.45 in the morning, Adam says that he finds Rebecca's body (gasps) hanging from the balcony at the front of the house. So exposed outside at the front of the house, her wrists and her ankles are bound. And specifically, her wrists are bound behind her back. Okay. She's naked and she's gagged with a blue shirt that's been wrapped around her face. And he calls 911 immediately and also cuts her down. The police arrive and she's pronounced dead on the scene. What? This is all within a, like, a 48-hour period. Yeah. Baffling, right? Yes, absolutely. So, the way Rebecca's body 
is found is really interesting, which we'll get into. But we also have to remember that Max at this point is still... In the hospital. In the hospital. Rebecca's body is found on July 13th. And Max himself on July 16th dies from the brain damage. Okay. And the oxygen deprivation. But five days later. Yes, five days later. It is determined that this the investigators initially ruled this as an accident and said that he somehow tripped and fell. But the trauma doctor that examined him was like, mm, no. So the trauma doctor said that Max had suffered a cardiac arrest <gasps> and had brain swelling that was inconsistent with a fall and thought that Max had suffocated prior to actually falling off the balcony. Oh, no. Yeah. Rebecca is in this state, right? And as she's found, the knots that are tying her hands are relatively complicated in nature. Her body is smeared with black paint. And what's noteworthy is, like, it seems to be centralized to the breast area, specifically the nipples. What? The same paint that is found that is smeared on Rebecca is also found to have painted a message on the door that leads into the room of the balcony that she was found hanging from. And the message said, it said, she saved him. Can he save her? She saved him? Can he save her? Mm. Oh, because Max wasn't dead yet when she died. According to her, he was not. She saved him. Can he save her? Oh, oh. Interesting, right? Like an outside, like, third party? Maybe. Okay, okay. Sorry, my puzzle it's side a lot is like, to, what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So investigators arrive. Like I said, she's pronounced dead on scene. And they begin their investigation. And they say that even though her death is suspicious... They rule it a suicide. Okay. Now, no other DNA evidence was found at the scene, but an autopsy that was conducted showed four instances of head trauma. To her. To her. Now, the theories of the head trauma were that when she went over the balcony, because she didn't go at a vertical angle, she, like, kind of toppled over, if you will. Okay. That she would have swung And hit her own head against the balcony. Oh. Other autopsy technicians, pathologists, are like, no, no, no. That would have taken an enormous amount of force to be like a swinging pendulum, if you would. Because it would have lessened with time. Yeah, they they are disputing that theory. I'm disputing it. (laughs) And a pathologist that was hired by the family testified that the throat fractures that the initial autopsy had determined were a result of her hanging herself right. were actually done via manual strangulation Uh-oh. and were not consistent with injuries that you would find from a ligature. Oh, man. Despite the fact that the sheriff's office determined that it was a suicide, the family's pathologist said, no, 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 this is a homicide. Right. So let's go into like the things that they found, if you will. So Billy Jensen and Paul Holes got their hands on okay. this case recently. Yeah. <laughs> And if we can trust anyone, it's Paul yeah. Holes. So Paul Holes took a look at, like, the photos and things like that. He said that 
if this was a drop suicide, essentially like hanging herself, dropping herself over the edge and hanging herself, he said that alone was a nine to 10 foot drop. Okay, that's a big drop. If you did that with a rope around your neck, it would cause severe trauma to the head and neck. Uh He said that it would likely have resulted in an internal decapitation, which was non-existent with her injuries. She had fractured bones in the front of the neck that again, that you would kind of get from manual strangulation. Yeah. But it wasn't like the force of her head being pulled up against the weight of her body. Up and out away from her body as if a rope was, pulling against you with the weight of gravity. There's also a lot of interesting conflicting evidence about sexual assault. So initially the police were kind of like thinking about it. Didn't even mention it really. Yeah. But there is, (laughs) it's actually like mind numbing how much there is. So first of all, what you should note about the scene that doesn't seem to matter to anyone is that there's a chair that's knocked over. Rebecca's feet are incredibly filthy But the floors, and particularly the white carpets, all remain pristine, as if she had never walked across them. It showed some signs of a struggle. In the room itself, two knives were found. One of those knives had a handle on it that was covered in her menstrual blood. The hell? And not just, like, she had grabbed it, like, with her hand and had gotten, like, (gasps) contact or whatever... It was covered on all sides of it as if it had been inserted. Oh, my God. The handle. Not the blade, the yeah, handle. Yeah, but still. But I, I, yeah. And the police never tested it to see if any vaginal cells were on the handle. What? They tested it to determine that it was her menstrual sure. blood. That it was blood, and then it was menstrual, and it was hers. But they never tested it to see if there were vaginal cells on there. Right. Which would have determined whether or not it had been inserted into her or the blood had come into contact on it. But they said it was on all four four sides and encompassed it. It wasn't just like a hand had grabbed it or it had had it like splots of it or something like that. It surrounded it. Yeah. The only fingerprints that were found on this particular knife were Rebecca's and they were found on the blade. Um, DNA actually showed... That there were two sets of DNA on the second knife, but there was an insufficient amount of it to draw any conclusion. The two autopsies didn't note any sexual assault. Oh. However, Rebecca had a blood stain on her inner thigh that was consistent with the size and shape of the knife handle. Oh, wow. So Paul Holes took a look at the photos. He couldn't get actual evidence or access to the knives themselves, but he took a look at the photos and thought that the fluids, the way that it presented on the handle was consistent with vaginal secretion, meaning that it was consistent with being inserted and pulled out. Um, Family members also contested that there's just no way that she would have tied herself up and jumped out the window Although the sheriff's department insisted that this is a way that people have killed themselves in the past by, like, binding themselves so that way they can't change their minds. Yeah. However, it's very, very uncommon for a woman to hang herself as a form of suicide. Women are more likely to intentionally overdose or to slit their wrists. Yeah. And... 
that's not to be, like, callous about it. It's just, like, that is kind of more the method. Mm-hmm. Um, hanging is just not consistent with female behavior. What's even more inconsistent is to do it so publicly on display. Like, right. it's in the front yard for all the world to see. Good God. She's naked. And a female brain, like, is kind of, like... My family's going to see this. Who's going to find me? My family's going to see this. Like, that kind of stuff. And so... Like, how is this going to be viewed by everyone? What's going to be the last thought of me? Right. What's going to be... Right. Of female hanging themselves naked? It just doesn't make sense. No. Because you wouldn't want to be found in a manner like that. Right. Especially you're saying that she was a woman that was, you know, kept herself well and presentable and... Right. Right. It's just not, it's just not within female behavior to, like, mm-hmm. expose yourself. Right. And, and it so, doesn't sound like it would have been in her behavior, too. Not just right. to be yeah, she general, was, but just for her, too, it sounds like. And it, her family was, like, she was happy. There wasn't signs of depression. She was also religious, so they felt like, you know, somebody, for her and what she believed in, committing suicide would have been a sin she was in good spirits and like there just wasn't rhyme or reason for has this. she talked to her family since max's accident just to see like you know obviously she was upset but she wasn't wasn't upset to the point of doing something like that or was there any of that hard to say that okay so not that i like heard from the family necessarily yeah. but there is a whole thing around her cell phone okay we'll get there so To convince everyone that this was entirely plausible, the police reenacted a scenario of a woman binding herself similar to Rebecca to prove that it could be done. Like, she could tie herself up in this way, and she could essentially throw herself over the balcony. Billy Jensen did something similar where he, like, he was like, I don't think you could do that. Like, tie yourself up like that. And they had him, like, tie his hands behind his back. And he was like, actually, that was, like, relatively easy. Mm. But then... Paul Holes took pictures of the reenactment, and he took pictures of the knot that they instructed Billy Jensen to tie, mm. and then he took pictures of the actual crime scene knots, and he said that they were different. Yeah. Because on Rebecca's knots, at the top of the binding, they formed a figure eight. Which would have been almost impossible for her to manage to wrangle her wrists together and then tie a figure eight around her hands. With one hand, Before tying a knot. Right. Yeah. And it's just, like, it's not, it's a complicated knot that would have, like, it, you can't just do it on yourself. He basically was out of the mind, like, no, this isn't something she could have done. What's also interesting to know is the paint smears that were on Rebecca's body. Now, a black paint tube was found in the room, and the paint tube had Rebecca's fingerprints on it, but Rebecca was also a painter, so oh. this wasn't okay. weird. But the paint that was specifically on her body had, it was kind of smeared. And when Paul Holes looked at it, he was, he noticed like texture to the paint that looked like, essentially like somebody was wearing a glove. Oh, it was smooth. Yeah. I'm like, just wish I knew how his brain worked. That he can literally take a picture of something and go, oh, that person was wearing a glove. Yeah. Like... The man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> but specifically... But yeah, there's no ridges. It's it's all smooth. Like you would have done it with an instrument and not a hand. Like it's... Well, and the paint was to her breast specifically. Yeah. And the areas of paint that were on the nipple 
looked almost like somebody had twisted oh, her nipples. God. And there wasn't any paint on her fingertips oh. that would have done that or the door. Exactly. So it was unlikely that she twisted her own nipples prior to tying herself up and throwing herself over the balcony. Like, that just didn't quite add up. Hmm. So this essentially, even though it's been ruled as a homicide, or I'm sorry, a suicide, it looks like a sexually motivated crime scene. If this body was taken and put anywhere else. Yeah. With, that, with t- taking Max out of the situation. Yeah. And taken anywhere else and you hadn't found her hanging. Right. This would have been a sexually motivated murder. Right. The way the body was found was in a, hum- like, ultimately in a humiliating way. Right. It was exposed. The marks on the body that were, like, consistent with sexual... Areas. Areas. The knife. The knife. And what had happened there... All signs point to a sexually charged murder, but because she had a rope around her neck, they ruled it a suicide. And Very had that quickly. had that crime scene been found in any other state, any like, other situation, right? Like in the bedroom or in yes. the you know anywhere else, they somewhere said, in the house, they would have said murder. But the fact that a rope was around her neck changed the whole thing. The paint that was found on the body of Rebecca matched the paint on the door. Okay. Now, like I said, she didn't have anything that showed that she had actually painted it itself, but the siblings did note that the handwriting did not match Rebecca's handwriting. Okay. And it didn't look like something that she had written. Does the size come into play? Is it like poster board size? No, because the police have never confirmed what the message said. The police won't what? actually say to the public what the message said. It's the family. The family was told what the message on the door said. So the family has come forward and said, this is what it said. But the police won't say. All they will say is that it doesn't seem like a suicide note. But they are calling it a suicide. Hmm. That's just so interesting. I, I, there's so many more details about that note that I want to know. I know. Like the size of it, you know, is... Does it look like it was painted with a brush? Does it look right. like it was painted with a hand? a hand? Does it look like right. it was done in a hurry? Like, yeah, it just... Is it, you know, normal lettering? Like the size of, you know, normal Is it all caps? Is it all like... ca- Yeah, there's so much. But they haven't said... And so they ended up pulling her cell phone records. Um, her cell phone records show that Rebecca checked to make sure her sister got home to Missouri okay. And she okay. was doing that over text message. She ignored a text message from Max's mom's sister. So Max's aunt, if you will. Okay. Who wanted to talk about Max's condition. Okay. Which I thought that was an interesting... Series of events. Yeah. yeah. It's your boyfriend's... Ex's sister right. wanting to talk to you. Like, that's so weird. Right. You would think she would talk to Jonah. Not. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds like it's someone that has a bit of string and wants to pull at it. Like, what is this? It wants to talk mm-hmm. to her and be like, what, what else do you know? What's going on? Right. Right. Okay. And then. Obviously, there's a reason, but. Or that there was something about Max's condition that was coming up as being suspicious. Mm. Because the other thing that was noted on her phone records was that she checked a voicemail okay and deleted that voicemail oh that voicemail supposedly belonged to jonah 
who was calling and leaving a message about Max's condition. But because the voicemail was deleted, police never asked AT&T to recover the voicemail. My God. And have never actually heard it themselves. They only know that that's... What Jonah says happened in the voicemail? Yes. And was it that Max's health was declining? Just said that it was about Max's condition. Oh, like, call me back, it's about Max's condition. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No one has ever really been able to figure out what exactly happened. The friends and family insisted that suicide is not possible, um, that it's not consistent. The sheriff's office says that the family just can't accept the truth. In September of that same year, Jonah wrote a letter to none other than California Attorney General Kamala Harris and asked her to review the investigation, but noted in the letter that he didn't disagree with the findings, that he was only asking for it to be reviewed so other people would accept the findings. Yeah. The Attorney General's office was like, I don't got time to bring peace to mind of people if you already think that everything's good to go. So they were like, no. We're not gonna. Oh God. We're not gonna look into this. Okay. But Rebecca's family, in the meantime, did meantime did hire an attorney who said that this would be the first kind of suicide in the world of its kind. Of course, that this is just not a thing. They believed that Jonah's wealth influenced the investigation and who he was and everything. Okay. So. Jonah's got his own lawyers, and so they send a cease and desist and basically say, like, this is defamation or whatever. Um, But no charges are ever brought against Adam. Even though he was in the house, technically. The only thing they were ever able to do was file a civil case in 2018. Um, And Adam was actually found liable for Rebecca's death. Oh, like a wrongful death suit. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Basically said that, like, he had intended to harm her, like, said that he was so disgruntled with her, basically blamed her for the death of Max, mm-hmm. and then sought revenge. And they actually won He admitted it. to that? No, no, no. Oh. But she actually <laughs> oh won, the family won the civil suit. Yep. And so they were awarded $5 million, but they were like, yeah, that's never going to be paid out. He filed an appeal, and they later settled with his insurance for 600000 But no criminal charges have ever been filed. Yeah, Jonah's money probably definitely influenced that. Yeah, I would assume so. And so there are just so many interesting... So you can look at it in so many different interesting ways. Yeah. It sounds like, to me, Jonah and Adam somehow thought that she was responsible for Max's death. Based on the information they were finding out at the doctor's office. Right. Basically, like, the trauma guy being like, "Mm." This isn't just a simple fall. Yeah. It sounds like there was suffocation involved in here or something like that. And something's just not quite adding up. And then the fact that everybody wants to talk to her about Max's condition. Right. Was there any calls between Adam and Jonah? Not that they said. Mm. And they probably... And even didn't if they, even look into it because right. at that point they and were Jonah really was definitely they say at the Ronald McDonald house. Gotcha. So, so he's for sure not involved in hands on. It doesn't seem to be no. Right. I mean that's not to say that he couldn't have left, but they haven't found any evidence of him coming or going. Right. That night that he basically checked into the house and then that was that. Until Adam texted him the next morning and told him what was going on. I'm sorry, but, you text your brother? Yeah, he called 911 and texted his brother. What? Yeah. 
You don't My guess is that. that he called 911 and then while, you know, 911 makes you sit on the phone or sure. whatever with them. So he probably was texting his brother while he's on the phone with right, 911. Right, with speakerphone. But it seems like oh, man. Adam potentially got revenge. Yeah. The interesting thing, though, is the sexual element to it. Which oh, absolutely. Which I don't feel it can be ignored. No. That there's... Even even if you take away the knife thing, even if there is some plausible explanation that I can't come up with, the way the body was found, the twist to the nipples, the fact that she was hung out there naked in the front of the house for all the world Meant to see, to be very publicly, mm-hmm. yeah, it just seems sexually torturous. Now, the the message, so it was, she saved him, can but, he, but can he save her? Can he save her? So, did they ever look into, I mean, they probably didn't, into Jonah's, like, it, was there anyone that was mad at Jonah? Anyone that would have heard, wanted to hurt Jonah or Jonah's family? I don't know. I don't think so, because the sheriff's office ruled it a uh, suicide. Right. So, as far as they're concerned, the case is closed. Because my theory, the way I, the way built in my brain was like, someone went into the house when Jonah wasn't there, saw the kid, did something to Max, attacked him, and then... And then came back and attacked her? Right. Because they're like, well, they saved Max, and we wanted to hurt him. Yeah. I just think that that would be... It's a stretch, but yeah. the whole message of like... Because why, let's just say it was Adam, why would he write, she saved him, but not, I don't think he would write that if this was like a vengeance plot against her for hurting Max. Right. So she saved him, can he save her? Like maybe talking about Jonah. Because the message wouldn't make any sense if it's a vengeance thing. If it's a vengeance thing, don't write a note. If it was Adam, stupid note. I that's I don't know what it. Either way, you know what I mean. Like we're either trying way, to it hurt sounds Jonah. like she was dead when the note was written. Mm. So I don't think saving her was ever a possibility. Can he save her? Or it could be something completely different. Like not can Jonah save her, but like can God save her? I think yeah. I think it's symbolic. Right. Or like, um. Like, she saved Max, can... Can God save her? Or, like, if he lives at this point, does that mean, like, and she's dead, does that mean that she doesn't have to answer for it? Oh, like, the same him, you mean? No, so, like, so she saved Max, Mm -hmm. but... And Max survives. So mm-hmm. she saved Max. Can him surviving save her from condemnation? Save or like her. save her from ultimate judgment? Because then she doesn't have to go to God's gates and explain the death of. Oof. I don't know. I feel like you can like really look at it very surface level and you can look at it very symbolically and you can get into the metaphors of it. And like it's a whole thing. But right. it doesn't make any sense. And it's not a suicide note and you can't convince me otherwise. It's not a suicide note. And Absolutely not. if it was... I don't think she would have referred to herself as she. I think she would have put I. Right. She would have used first person pronouns. Right. That alone, as a detective, I would have walked in and been like, who 
writes themselves in third person on a suicide mm-hmm. note. Yeah, something's not right there. Because I can see the angle of the whole, you know, her being, feeling guilty for, you know, being the person that's in charge of watching him. And it was under her watch that this happened. Yeah. I can see that angle. Like, you know, depression or just, you know, something going on in her head or just too much to handle. People are calling her family members. They think that she's guilty of something. So it's just so much pressure and just like, ah, this moment. Yeah. But... The third person description is odd. And then the chair being knocked over, the knife being there. No paint on her hands. Hello. Yeah. It sounded like there there might have been some paint on the back of her hands, but not on her actual fingers. That is odd. Yeah. No cameras? No. Yeah. And you're not going to convince me that... for what it sounds like a relatively emotionally stable, non-depressed person twists their own nipples, gets naked, binds their hands, and throws themselves over a balcony. That doesn't make sense at they did, all. They did do a toxicology? Yeah, and it came back as nothing. Nothing. Supposedly. So not even... So, you know, Adam wasn't even... Oh, I don't, man. well, they didn't necessarily do one for him. Like No, didn't. but, you know, it, it would be interesting if she had some alcohol in her system or some kind of, you Not know, that recreational drug yeah. that he would have said, like, oh, yeah, we stayed up late, we're talking about Max, we're talking about et cetera, we and that's had not to some say drinks that it's not we, there. I, I could have very easily missed that. I don't know. But, I didn't look into it, but. It's not, it doesn't sound like it was. It sounds like it wasn't blamed on that, or that wasn't part of the... No, it wasn't like she got herself all messed up and tried to kill herself. Hmm. There's a lot of odd things, like you said, the naked, front of the yard, hanging for a woman. Couldn't tie herself like that. At least the figure eight at the top isn't possible for her to do by herself. So it's case closed as suicide, technically. Yes. Um, apparently, very recently, the family of Rebecca took the sheriff's office to court. Nice. And, <laughs> see, and in this this article, it says that the message on the door says, she saved him, can you save her? Which, that... Like, that changes the, it the more. The pronoun there is really important. Like, can was it you or was it he? Her? And that's the problem. It's can like, we don't know. It said that Rebecca never referred to herself in the third person. She wrote extensively about herself in the first person. She was a painter. She was comfortable with painting letters as well as figures. Um, based on all of that, like, the message just didn't line up with her and who she was. Um, but See, because you, can, can you save her, though? That, you know, that just opens up for so other theories. Like, you know, was, was this directed at Jonah? Yeah. Basically, it says that they are going to take the sheriff's office to court under, basically, that they're seeking proof of murder. Rebecca's family is? Yeah. That they're trying to get them to overturn the original? Yeah. And, and say, make it basically, a homicide. Basically, this was a, a shoddy investigation. Oh, and absolutely. they're coming for the sheriff's office and saying, you need to reopen this case. How do you walk into a scene like that? I mean, even, you don't even have to walk into the scene. You can walk up to the scene and see that something is wrong. Yeah. You don't have to even walk into the room, but obviously there's stuff on the door and inside the room that are, hello, red flags, that this is not a suicide. And there's someone else in the house, like, 
how often do you go? I, I just can't. Like, what was Adam's story? Like, oh, I just walked outside with my morning coffee to just go sit on the front porch I, of the mansion yeah. when I'm sure there's a sunroom somewhere in this mansion. Like, who... Was her bedroom door closed? Do we know this? I don't know, but it doesn't sound like she was actually in her bedroom. That that oh, wasn't the room. room. Yeah. Because it refers to it being a room, not yeah. her bedroom. Yeah, they would have said her bedroom. Yeah. And Oof. it still doesn't explain what happened to Max. No! We haven't like, even... None of that explains what happened to Max. Do we know what kind of dog Ocean was? No. Mm. So there is a theory that, like, he was chasing his dog, tripped, and then somehow went sailing over the banister. But at the same time, he's so little that, like, I don't see how a kid that age goes sailing over a banister. Unless he's physically picked up and thrown? I wonder how far the the banister was from the chandelier. Yeah. I wonder if the chandelier hung, like, by the second floor or, like, hung somewhere in the middle. So, like, if you're standing on the second floor, you can see down on top of it. Yeah. I don't Um, know. It sucks because it's, like... It just kind of ends with, like, and that's where they left it. But, like... Hopefully, Rebecca's family is able to get some kind of answers and get it reopened. And at least, um, I think, at the least, have some effort put in by the authorities to look in to see what happened. Obviously, it'll be too little too late now. Yeah. Um, But something... If they at least do a thorough job now, it'll be better than nothing. Right. Because I, I can't think of anything worse than something being so obviously wrong and the police do nothing for you. Even though immediately after the family's like, this is wrong, and they did nothing. So, yeah, it'd be nice if they if they get some some wheels moving on that front. Yeah, it's just very odd. So, yeah, that's the case of the Freckles Mansion mystery murders. I don't really know. Question um, mark? So, yeah, thank you, Annie, for sending that one over because I did, I was, I remember the story because it's just, like, bananas as far as, like, the kid falling off the balcony and that being mysterious and then her ending up dead two days later and that being very mysterious. Yeah. Um, so, it was definitely, like, a good head scratcher to get into. Um, the timing's just super odd on that. Yeah, just very. It doesn't seem coincidental to me. So thanks, Annie. I appreciate it. Yes, we do. So if you guys have suggestions or anything like that, send it over. Um, we will definitely do our best to look into things that you guys are interested in. I think I'm due for another like really big one here soon too. All right, so we want to give a special shout out to some of our new Patreons. Thank you so much. Our first one is to Kristen. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thanks, Kristen. And the second one today is for Amanda. Whoop, whoop. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Amanda. We appreciate, appreciate you guys. You. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even plan that. We appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for being Patreons. If you are interested, if you want to just go look around on the Patreon and see what cool stuff you would be a part of go check us out on patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com or the app slash stranger danger podcast um or or the app which i recently found 
Yeah, Welcome I know. Welcome to 2021. I know. Um, I but you can just party. download the app and search for us in there under Stranger Danger Podcast. And it will pop right up for you. Yeah. And then if you would like to follow us on Facebook, we've got Stranger Danger colon a true crime podcast. And if you join the group, that's where some of the morbid e-pictures are. Um, not safe for regular content at Stranger Danger colon murder lovers. And you can follow us over on Instagram, which is the majority of the engagement at a stranger danger podcast. You can email us a stranger danger podcast at gmail.com or you can go over to our Twitter, which is almost obsolete. And that is at SD true crime pod. Thank you so much. Thanks guys. Bye. Don't stand by banisters. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>